Vaxi's Musical Podcast. Here's an indisputable fact for you. The most successful all-female rock band of all time were the Go-Go's, who over the course of four studio albums sold 7 million copies. Here's another indisputable fact. The Go-Go's were also the only female band in history to have a number one album in the country using their own songs and playing their own instruments. That happened with their first album, Beauty and the Beat, in 1981, an album that would eventually go double platinum. But it had never happened before that record, and here's the amazing part. It's never happened since. This is why the Go-Go's are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and many others are not. They're there because they deserve to be. And here's the thing. The Go-Go's weren't just successful because they happened to be women. They were successful because they happened to be a really good band that cranked out some timeless classics. We Got the Beat, Our Lips Are Sealed, Vacation, Head Over Heels, all huge hits that were released in just a three-year period of time. Combine that with a pounding schedule of relentless touring, MTV videos, and you begin to realize that the Go-Go's were a band that earned every bit of their success. These weren't just a bunch of girls that wanted to be in a band. This was a band that wanted to be great and were willing to work for it. In 2021, Go-Go's drummer Gina Shock released a book called Made in Hollywood. It's a book that combines her life story of leaving her hometown of Baltimore driving to Hollywood and joining one of the most important bands of the 1980s, combined with some amazing stories and pictures that she took throughout her entire career. Now, I will warn you ahead of time. She and I were speaking in a real-life windstorm in California, which knocked her off of Zoom, and we finished over the phone because sometimes shit happens. But we continued on, and it was still great. This is my conversation with Gina Shock of the Go-Go's on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Mike, hi. Hey, Gina, how are you? I'm tired, but I'm good. Yeah, I know. I I, under, I understand, but I'm glad you're here. Well, I, me too. Thank you. Thank you. So I uh, I, I read the book the other day, uh, Made in Hollywood, and I thought it was absolutely great. The pictures in it are, are are amazing. The kind of you know the kind of pictures you'd never really see in a in an authorized band book. Like they it's usually you know, these are the pictures we want you to see, not the pictures that you know really happened. I mean, that's pretty cool the way you did it. Yeah, um, I had been taking photographs since I left Baltimore. <clears throat> and when I was a kid, you know, I had Instamatic cameras and I'd go to concerts and take photos. I always loved photography. And so I had was taking photos of the band constantly when we were on tour. I had a, a camera with me and would capture stuff that, that I thought was interesting or get the girls to, to do certain poses that I thought were funny <laughs> or different scenarios that, that that we would all get a kick out of and then I'd photograph it we'd all laugh so yes that's it started out this book started out just being a book of my photography and then the publisher said hey how about we um you know can you give us some words and I I said well you know I don't know because I'm not, I've never written a book so I don't know that I'm capable of that um and and then the fellow that I was working with Steve said Gina let's give it a try you know he was sort of helping me put this together Every word in there is mine, but Steve was really helping me, yeah. you know, pull everything out of me and remember everything that had happened. And um, so we, I started looking at the photos and 
guess what? It, the words just started flowing. And so I was, that was a pleasant surprise because I really didn't know I was capable, but um, you know, Mike, you surprise yourself time and time, or certainly I have. And I think everybody, if you push yourself, yeah. just push yourself, you know, because if it's something that you love or something you know about, you can talk about. It. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the book and this, the, and I'm writing the beginning of the book and the, the one story that kind of leaps out at you, or leaps out at me is is one of these things where I, I try to put myself in in your shoes or in the shoes mm-hmm. of your parents. And I'm trying to imagine what my parents would have done if I you know, packed up my drums in the family car and drove off to Hollywood. I, I don't think they'd let me go unless I picked up my room first. <laughs> yeah, I uh, you know, I think about that a lot now um, uh, of what it must have taken for them to allow me the baby to allow me to <laughs> pick up everything and you know, get in my dad's truck, everything I own and a friend of mine from high school and drive across country telling everybody the next time you see me, I'm going to be a rock star. But my parents, uh, you know, God, they had such faith in me. And really, you know, I, I was they they were part of the driving force behind behind me wanting to make this decision because I wanted to make them proud. I wanted to do something that that they could, uh, you know, talk to their friends about and go, wait, look what my daughter's done, or something, you know. <laughs> That was important to me. I wanted to make it. I wanted to be able to buy a house and do all the things that my parents had done, you know, um, you know, because like growing up, if you bought a house and you had a nice car, I grew up in a really middle class setting and, yeah. and that was big stuff to us. But I certainly had those those aspirations. But and then it went beyond that to, hey, man, one day you're going to see me on that stage um, because I'm I'm doing what I love and I, I know I can make it if I just put my time in. I was always taught by my dad, especially, but both of my parents, that if you put your time into something, you know, you'll reap the rewards, the fruits of the rewards of, of whatever it is that you are, you know, spending time working on. I think that's a great lesson because, you know, the, the confidence and ambition and the confidence that your parents had in you, I mean, that could they all- definitely instill, they instilled confidence in me though, Mike, you yeah. know? Yeah. They, I mean, really, I grew up believing that I could be president. I, I you know, I, it was like <laughs> sort of whatever you want, you can achieve. You just got to put the time in, stay focused and do the right thing. That's what it's about, you yeah. know. But also your your age, too. I mean, at that young of an age, you don't even know any better. I mean, if you're if you're confident and and, absolutely. and have, yeah, absolutely. The, the, you're, if you told like a 55 year old guy and I'm 56 that, you know, we're going to I'm going to pack up everything and join a band. I don't think that would fly very well. And I think even I no, would have because, no confidence in it. No, but it's, it, that's, <laughs> you know, that's about being young and yeah. really believing that dreams can come true and believe, you know, as hokey as that sounds, well, guess what? It does happen sometimes. And, you know, I, uh, when you're young, you, I mean, you know, you feel like you're invincible and there's no stopping you. Uh, and I fully believe that, you know, I believe that I could go to LA and be, and make it in the business. I'm I'm old enough to remember the uh, the the 70s and the 80s and and how families tended to totally reject the idea of their kids even listening to punk records. Um, <laughs> that doesn't sound like that uh, that was such a a big hamper for for you. It sounded like it didn't really matter what kind of music that you were playing. Your parents were going to support you, and My- you had the confidence to to get there. Well, Mike, I don't know if you can hear this, but we I'm in the middle of a windstorm. I live up on a hill in San Francisco and the wind is howling and my windows. It's like coming through little it's coming through my windows. My God, it's it's really loud. And then something on my roof keeps going. You hear it? (laughs) That's my parents. 
loved music. I grew up with a lot of music in our house. My parents were into big band music and they loved dancing. So they were always playing music. And, you know, I grew up with a great appreciation of music because of them. Um, you know, I, 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 it was, I learned it at a young age, you know, that music is, it, it's, it was important to them. It, it changed the way you feel. It made you think and feel differently. It could affect you in, in a visceral way. And, and, you know, I, that, that's something I grew up with. So when I started listening to music on my own, they, you know, they, they didn't have to be in my room, bedroom listening to it, but they were just, they let me do what I wanted to do when it came to music because they knew I loved it so much. I was so passionate. Every penny that I got of my allowance, I spent on music, you know, whether it was buying records or mag or subscription to magazines or, or, you know, uh, imported LPs or um, every t uh, tickets to every show that came to Baltimore, um, T-shirts, anything I could get my hands on that, you know, that was about music. I, I just couldn't stop. I yeah. had to have more and more and more. I was passionate, really passionate about it. And I still am. There's a, there's a great story in, in the book about uh, you playing uh, for uh, Edith Massey. And if, uh, if people don't, may not know the, the name, I think all you have to do is go back and, and look at a John Waters film and you know exactly who that is. I mean, she really was a Baltimore institution and you started playing with her uh, eating the eggs. Tell me about, uh, about that band because what a character this woman was. Oh my God. Edie was such a sweetheart. I loved her. She was a dear soul. Um, and all she ever wanted to be was famous. And uh, she had a shop uh, on Broadway in the Fells Point area of Baltimore and when I was like 19 or 20, I moved into Fells Point. I, I got a uh, studio apartment. So I would walk down and see her all the time. She had a thrift store called Edith's Shopping Bag. And she would be, the minute you walked in the door, she was sitting there on the left-hand side in front of her cash register, um, there behind her cash register with her cat, Lovey, at her side. Um, and then she had another woman, Jeannie, who was sort of like her slave lady that looked like she, Jeannie kind of looked like a witch. She had long gray hair and she didn't say much, but she had really um, her makeup was a uh, adventurous, let's say she was, she's very colorful. Um, and, a pretty diplomatic um, way of putting it. Oh my God. What such characters. And I loved her and I'd walk in and I'd always talk to Edie. And he said, oh, Gina, how you doing? So one day I walked in, oh, Gina, I'm putting together a punk rock band. And I was like, oh, we're going to California, New York and all that. So when she told me that, I was like, yes, Edie, I'll, I'll help put the band together. I'll do whatever. And sure enough, uh, put a band together, myself and two other girls. And it was just like punk rock. Uh, and we did songs that like Edie had sang prior to this band, like punks get off the grass and whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, God, she was so sweet. Um, and we, I had a great time. Uh, we went to Philly, New York, LA, San Francisco. First time I'd ever been on a plane, you know, really, I look back and if it wasn't for Edie, I don't know if the go-go's would be, would have happened in the way they did. When you do get to California and you, you've driven your, your dad's truck all the way across the country and, yeah. and, and you get there and, it sounds like things kind of progressed very, very quickly. You meet some of the ladies at the, at a party, and next thing you know, yes, you're playing with in, in a band. So, tell me about yes. how fast that was. Is it was it as kind of like a whirlwind as the book yes. kind of describes? Absolutely, yeah. Because you know what, I was on a mission, man. I when I got out there, I put my name in every record store and all the guitar centers and all that stuff, and you know, female drummer looking to join a band, blah blah blah, whatever my influences, and I got in bands right away. 
but um, the the fellow that I was staying with, a, a guy named Steve, Steve Martin, not the Steve Martin, but Steve Martin. Um, he was like, Gina, we got to get you. And he also, you know, told me to come out and that I could, could stay with him until I found a place and got myself settled. So, um, you know, Steve was helping me and, and, and taking me to a lot of shows and introduced me to the punk scene out there, which I was just completely enamored with. And um, he said, you know, you got to you got to go see the Go-Go's. He took me to see the Go-Go's and they were hilarious and very colorfully dressed. And they were really kind of acting tough, but they were just had these sweet, sweet little faces and um, sang these songs that were really tough. But. You know, it was like, forget about it. So uh, I, I went to see them. I loved them. I thought that they needed a lot of work. But there was something special about the band that spoke to me. Uh, they were having so much fun on stage. And they were really interacting with the audience. It wasn't, they didn't care whether they played everything properly. And they they, they weren't, you know, and I was so serious. And I needed to lose a little bit of that. You know, I was just <laughs> way too serious. Anyway, uh, I met them at Steve's brother's party doug that was his brother redheaded twins um and i met uh, met um jane i think belinda and margo at doug's doug had a party he lived uh he lived in santa monica and had a party and every and it was a very it was a small scene the punk scene everyone knew each other everyone was very supportive of each other i went to the party and i met the girls and they were like we're looking for a drummer and i said oh well i'm looking to join a band Anyway, I was already in two bands, but I knew that that wasn't where I wanted to be. Ultimately, it was right. just sort of passing time and keeping my chops up. Anyway, um, I uh, invited them over to Steve's house where I had a PA set up in the living room, my drums, amps, everything set up in his living room. What a, what an angel he was. <laughs> uh, and they came over and we played. We played, started playing. I think Beatnik Beach was the first one. They sent me, I think they dropped off like a cassette of the songs that I, you know, played them a couple of times. We played Beatnik Beach and it was like, we all looked at each other and the deal was done. We knew right away it was, a, there was a great connection. Wow. Um, and they were super <laughs> impressed by my drumming skills because I had been playing longer than any of them had. I, I had been playing in bands in Baltimore doing four sets and four 45 minute sets a night. But you, I wasn't great, but I was I I was pretty good. But every great band says that when they have the right people, when the chemistry is there, it's like there's no stopping you. And like up until the point where you find it, you never realize realize how important it is until all of a sudden it, it smacks you right in the face and say, "This is what it's going to be." Yeah, and I think I think the girls they were just having fun. They were just wanting to hang out with their friends, and they had just picked up their instruments, with the exception of Charlotte. Charlotte didn't know how to play. Uh, she was playing bass in a in another band, but she picked up guitar for the Go Go's. Uh, but everybody was sort of knew what they were doing. I, like I said, I was on a mission, and I what I injected into the Go Go's was get your ass to rehearsal five nights a week, work every day, and then go to re rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Because I knew that I could pull something out of everybody. I, I felt like something was there, and we just needed to, to get sit in a room and, and, and work on it. And, and we did, we changed, everything changed. We started rehearsing. They got serious about what they were doing because I was dead serious about coming out there to make it. Um, and I know it rubbed off on the guys and, and they, they fell, fell in line and, and wanted to do it. And it wasn't just, Oh, we're doing this for fun. It was rehearsing five nights a week. So things changed pretty rapidly. I think one of the things that, uh, that people may not realize about the Go-Go's, you know, because I mean, you guys had hits and they were big hits and you were women and you were writing your own songs. 
that people, it sounds like as you're trying to get record companies to pay attention to you or, you know, even, you know, radio stations to play the, the, the singles that because you were, were women, people tended to focus on that as opposed to focus on what was the most true and that you guys were a real hardworking band that was becoming greater and greater as the days were going by. And, and it's, there's something about <laughs> record companies that just, they only hear what they, what they see rather than what they're really there to do. And that is to listen to the music and say, okay, this is, this is something that is much bigger than all of us. But two years ago, I interviewed Miles Copeland. He had just you know written a book and ah. we were talking about IRS and he was talking about, you know, just that he said, you know, if record companies had just stopped being idiots, they would have realized what they had in you. And that was a great freaking band. And it just, it just shows that, you know, that sometimes the, the blind, maybe you call it sexism. I just don't, or it just, you know, the categorization, this is only a girl band as opposed to it's a great band that just happens yeah, well, to be girls. Right. Right. Well, people, you know, they record companies, tend to be conservative and uh, and so it, you know they don't want to spend money and nobody wants to lose their job you right. know um and so it is it's a tough situation for them and especially at that time because uh, there had been there had not been an all-girl band that had been hugely successful and um so you know thank god for miles copeland because he was a small label and he could afford to do something he didn't have to he didn't put out much i think we spent sixty thousand dollars making that first record <laughs> So he 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 was like, he thought we were great. He was like, oh my god, an all girl band, and they can kind of play, and they and I like what's what they're singing, and I like you know. So he got it, and he didn't he didn't have any much to lose because he was the head of the company. It was his company, right. so you know he made the decision. But one one of the things that he talked about was you know not only how important IRS was for the Go Go's, but maybe more importantly how important the Go Go's were for IRS. I mean, without the explosive release of that record and a, and a worldwide success that label may have gone under you know much much faster yeah and yeah you no guys, we, we, yeah. we definitely we definitely funded irs for many many years allowed them to have bands like rem you know um yeah we funded irs and uh miles knows it and uh and but that's okay that's all cool it's the way i guess it should work you know yep. helping other folks out helping other new bands get signed good man i'm glad we made money for him so bands so that he could sign bands like rem one of the other uh, things you did talk about in in your book was about going to england and getting to know the specials and madness and and how important that relationship wind up being with you guys i mean the least of which you know being you know terry hall helping to write uh, our lips are sealed with with jane i mean that was a pretty yeah. important. That was a pretty important, you know, moment for you guys because when you came back, all of a sudden, the the whole world and and attention on the Go Go's was very very different than before you'd left. Well, what uh, you know, we went to England thinking we were going to be huge over there, like they're way ahead of, of what Americans like. The English get will get us, and they hated us, and <laughs> we didn't do well. We did not do well over there, but boy, did we learn how to be on stage with a tough audience. We you know, it was a school of hard knocks and we passed, we got through it and we toughened us up. We could play in front of anybody when we got done playing, you know, up with the specials and madness. And, um, the, the our lips are seared was just basically a love letter that Terry sent to Jane and she got this letter and she, you know, thought it took some of the words and, and, um, and wrote our lips are sealed and brought it into the band one day. And she was really nervous about 
showing us the song and um, she played it. We were like, oh, my God, we love this. Let's fix a couple things up here and it'll be ready to go. So while we were over there, um, we had done a a single with a label called Stiff Records. We they did. We got the beat that was being played. It was an an import uh, here in the States from Britain and it was being played in clubs. Um, we got so we came back to the States with this newfound success in the ill and certainly on the East coast and the West coast, because all the hot clubs were playing, we got the beat and every, every place we played was sold out and then some. Um, so it, that really changed things for us. Then miles and other labels started paying more attention, but still everybody was afraid except for miles Copeland. Almost immediately after that record comes out, you know, I was at in college in 1984, 1983, still in high school at that point. But girls all over the place were starting to dress uh, and starting to to mimic their favorite go-go's. It ha- it resonated with so many people, especially young women. You're right; there hadn't been a whole lot of success with all-girl bands, and there hadn't been almost any real precedent for girls who were writing their own songs and playing their own instruments. Right? It was yeah, like- yeah, right. Yeah, normally a lot of the times, you know, um, the songs, even if it wasn't a a, a girl band. Uh, songs were written by other people yeah um and but yeah we were sort of the first to write our own songs and play our own instruments on you know on the record and play live with nobody behind the curtain and all that kind of shit Uh, that that was something that we were we were quite proud of but but it was something that we did with ease so i mean we weren't as knocked out about it as a lot of other people were you know (laughs) um it's just something we did and we were having fun at it and we were we were you know we we certainly touched a chord you know in in america at that at that particular time and god the all the girls went crazy and certainly you know i mean our biggest audience were all with young girls um who wanted to be like the go-go's um and what a wonderful thing i mean it is a wonderful thing when it when a band winds up having that much influence not just with their music but there is you know, a cultural significance with, with how yes, people were yes. listening, not only to just new music, but they were listening to what was, in fact, a punk band on a small label, uh, you know, being responsible for cultural shift. All of a sudden, these young women were listening to that kind of music, and that was opening up their ears to a whole, you know, new genre of stuff. Yeah, well, we, um, you know, we we always, and well, I mean, as far as I I mean, I, I've always considered the Go-Go's at heart. We are a punk band, yeah. you know, um, and when we play live, we're a lot. We're pretty rough around the edges when we play live uh, on, on the record. We're a lot more polished. And, uh, you know, that's usually what happens when you make a record. You know how every couple of years things shift and something comes in and people are like, yeah, I've been waiting for something <laughs> like this to happen. Well, we happened at the, at the just at the right time. And there's no accounting for timing. Right. That's it, right. We just happens. And it was the right time in music, and you know the advent of 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 um, of MTV. My God, what a change that made for us! They loved us, so they were playing our videos constantly. They couldn't get enough of the Go Go's, and we were quite happy to uh, give them whatever they asked for. And yeah. they were so, you know, such, they were a young company, but they were powerful. We knew we were kind of uh, we knew that they were going to change things. Before the album comes out, you're, you know, I mean, you guys are a hardworking band. You're playing in clubs. You're going to, you're going to England and you're, you're touring around. And then all of a sudden, your album is platinum, double platinum, and it sells. Mm-hmm. And you, be, you guys, because of MTV and a lot of other things, 
really become one of the most recognizable bands of that entire decade. Who didn't know who the, the Go-Go's were? Even if you weren't even aware of their music, who couldn't identify the Go-Go's? As someone who's in that moment and in, we talked about the, the whirlwind of, of uh, asked to join the band and playing with them. This whirlwind sounds like it was even bigger. It may have been really overwhelming. You know, How, t- tell me what that was like. Well, we were we didn't we did not know how to say no. So we were constantly just touring and touring and then if we weren't touring we were recording. So we were out on tour, we were we were slugging away in in the states in a in a in a van, um playing clubs and Miles called our manager Ginger and said, "Hey, what do you think about opening for the police?" And she came to us and we're like, "Are you kidding? You bet." So, but of course Miles managed the police and was ahead of our label. So we went from playing in clubs to playing in 20,000 arenas. And pretty soon things started changing because when we stepped on stage, the place was almost packed. So people were coming to see both bands, not just the headliner. And that was a, a big sign to us that things were changing. People were liking what we do. And then, you know, we had been playing these big arenas. Uh, we did Saturday Night Live. And then like within two weeks, we were over a million Uh uh, that was quite a moment because uh, the the guys in the police they all came in with champagne uh, before uh, after we got off stage and said congratulations you just topped us in the charts you're number one and <laughs> your album's number one and you sold a million blah 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 and so they were very sweet about it uh, it was a moment I'll never forget and um, yeah we we were out selling the police at that point because we we were happening big we were hitting it big time and it was all because. You know, Miles was smart. We, we the, the record had been out for six months and was sort of just not moving very quickly. But once we started playing those big and we got that, you know, people had that sort of access to the band, things changed immediately. And then back then, Saturday Night Live, you know, if you played Saturday Night Live, something big was going to happen, you know, because they were cutting edge with their with the bands they had on. And I mean, I just remember I'd, I want to watch Saturday Night Live to see who the musical guest was every every weekend, you know. <laughs> Or like Ed Sullivan used to be. Right. Who's the musical guest? I want to watch it just to see it. <laughs> right. Maybe you're watching the night that uh, you know, the replacements get kicked off or you know, Elvis Costello gets banned for life or, or, right. you fe- never or know. fear breaks the stage. You know, that kind of thing. Love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. So in, in 82, you guys were nominated for the uh, the Grammy for Best New Artist. And you're, you're nominated with Adam Ant, Sheena Easton, Luther Vandross, James Ingram, and you. Right. And Sheena Easton wins from Morning Train. I mean, not to throw any shade on Sheena Easton. I'm sure she's a lovely woman, but I'm thinking there's only one of you that was cranking out a, an album that you wrote yourself, played yourself, and sold a million copies. I mean, it's just like... Yeah, man, that was crazy, right? We were like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> we, 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 we really couldn't believe that we didn't get it, you know? We certainly should have won that award, but hey... Uh, it worked out that way. We were just a bunch of, we we got up and left immediately and went and started partying. We were like, hell with this. <laughs> Something's wrong with this system if we didn't just win. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, okay, maybe Luther Vandross I see, but I mean, over Sheena Easton, I don't I don't see that one at yeah, all. Yeah, right. Luther Vandross, I could get that, man. Yeah, yep, what absolutely. a talented man. My God. So as the, the band goes on, you know, vacation comes out and all of a sudden things start to, to fracture a little bit first, you know, first things first. I mean, you get, uh, you get, you know, seriously ill with a heart condition, but then after that, it just seems like the expectations of replicating 
incredible success, different agendas, different personalities. At at some point, this thing starts to break down on you guys. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's not an unusual story. I mean, you hear that a lot, especially with bands that have, you know, immediate, enormous success. In your mind, though, what what do you think it was that that made it kind of, uh, you know, frack? Okay. So here's the part where the wind starts blowing around and messes up our Zoom connection. Now, the rest of the interview was completed over the phone until it was interrupted again. Here's a genius publicist explain what happens next. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you? Good. So we, we did the, the audio dial-in because um, we don't know what's happening, but the wind is, I mean, the TVs, everything is went crazy around here. The wind is really whipping. That's all right. So the wind is so, we, had a, a, we got a new refrigerator, and we had a refrigerator out front, Mike. And the wind is so bad here, and her porch is parked right, well, right in front of the house. Right. And like six feet away, and the wind was taking the refrigerator, which has four wheels on the bottom, from moving. And luckily, we happened to have a guy working in the garage. And he heard this noise, the scraping noise. He looked outside, and the refrigerator was heading towards the porch. And he jumped in front of it. And, and so we heard this noise. So we looked out the window just in time, I guess, for us to see him with the refrigerator. I, I hope he gets a tip because that's uh that's him putting his life on the line. Uh, that, that was crazy. Yeah, I don't wow. I don't know. I would get in front of a movie. <laughs> He's a big dude. All right, bud. Here, here Jim. Right. Thank you. Oh my God, Mike! I looked out the window too, and I was like, "Window's gonna hit the car!" And he jumped in front. Oh my God! So is is the car and the and the fridge okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I I have I have two cars, and I keep I keep the Porsche in the garage and I have another SUV. I have a Maserati SUV, which I, it won't even fit in the garage. So I keep that out in front of the house. <laughs> so I got both of the cars in front of the garage and the house right now, because we're in the garage rearranging stuff. Well, how are the drums? I got to come in and set the drums up today. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I've got so much going on. Like crazy. Anyway, let's finish this up baby, and get it right. So anyway, anyway. I, I was asking you about, you know, the, the, when the, when the band starts to break up and, and what was, was leading up to that getting pretty tense because um you know uh, some members of the band were making a lot more than others and that seemed really wrong to me so we were trying to address that in the middle of working constantly um and also you know this was a period of time when people were making starting we were starting to make a lot of money uh people were using a lot of drugs and things were just getting a little out of control and then beneath it were you know decisions that had been made uh, when the band first began, that were there were poor choices by the people that we had surrounding us, and it it, it should I mean as far as I'm concerned, I think most people everything should have been split, you know, 100 percent between the five members of the band. It just should have been because we all worked so hard. It's like, yeah, there's one thing to write a song. Yeah, you got to have a certain talent to write a song. Well, you know, I agree, but you better have a platform to show that song, or else it doesn't mean diddly squat. It don't mean a yeah. goddamn thing. You know, I mean. You got to have somewhere to show it. You got to have a platform. Hey, check out this song. The Go-Go's were the platform for anybody in the band that was writing songs. And you're all participating in the arrangements of those songs and everything else. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, the five of us are what made, made, it was the chemistry between the five of us that made the Go-Go's what they were. If one thing would have been different, who knows how it would have turned out. But you know what? It was, the chemistry was perfect. And there's, you know, you can't buy that. You can't buy that. And so I felt and always will feel that do the right thing, man. Every, everybody's as important as the next. One person is as important as the next. And yeah. 
certainly all five of us really made the band happen. And, uh, you know, I just, I know I use this example all the time, but I think it's the perfect example is what do you think would have happened to, we got the beat without that drum beat? I think it would have been a hit. I mean, I don't get, I don't get a dime from that song, which is really crazy. Most people think I get, you know, I get the percentage because the drum beat is, is what the song is all about. Let's face it. And, um, but it's, that's not the way it is. Yeah. And so that's a little tough to take, but you let, I let go. There's other, there's other, you know, I mean, I became a much, I became a good songwriter and, you know, it's okay. I got songs with Miley Cyrus and Selena Gomez, and that made me, you know, feel my oats. That made me know, hey, I, I can do it um, just as good as the next person. But, uh, yeah, that, well, anyway, yeah, so things things started to get, you know, in a bad place and added the feel of, of, of everybody having a lot of money and drugs. That didn't help the situation. And we, we couldn't – we didn't know how to communicate back then, Mike, you know. I mean, we, <clears throat> we, we should have sat down and had counseling. We should have, you know – Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> As I said earlier, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, that bands go through, you know, all the time where they, there are so many pressures on, on artists and they can very easily just have it all fall apart on them. But at the same token, in spite of all that stuff, you guys did get back together and, and you, while you would never necessarily think of, of Jane Fonda as being like the, the hostage negotiator for the go-go's, I mean, she was pretty. Yeah, in, right. She was yeah. pretty instrumental in getting you guys to at least communicate together and then play together, and then. Yes, I mean, she was the person, and uh, you know, we all, we all. Oh my God, that sounds making me go fucking crazy. <laughs> Do you hear this? Oh my God, babe. I'm just taking a look out the front window. I'm afraid to get damn trees gonna fall on my house. Um. Anyway, anyway, yeah, Jane Fonda. You gotta love that, right? She was so cool. I remember she invited us to her house, her house in Santa Monica. And um, uh, this is something that sticks with me. When I walked in the front door, um, um, right to the side, there was a, a table and, and it was full of family photos. And I thought right off the bat, I like this woman. <laughs> I like who she is. Look, look at this. It's all about family because family is so important to me, you know. Um, and uh, I thought she's, she's got to be cool. Well, she was wonderful. I just adore her. And uh, we, yeah, we wanted to be in it. Was an, it was a environmental uh, in, in incentive to be put on the ballot. Uh, uh, so yeah, we were happy to be a part of that. And then we started, you know, everybody started hanging out, and having dinner, and before you know it, we were on tour again. You guys have made a number of attempts to have put a final tour together, and the, and this last time things were interrupted by by COVID. Where do things stand right now? with the go-go's is is it something that you could right. reconsider or is it or is it done i'm not sure hmm. i'm not sure because there's five people in the band i can only speak for myself and tell you that that i love playing in this band and i'm super grateful for this band and i hope that that we can play forever and ever i don't think everybody feels that way i know especially belinda she's she's in the uk doing her thing but um you know I don't know how it's gonna. I don't know how it's gonna end up. I yeah. just know that I. I always love playing with this band. It's. It gave me everything that I have. It. It. It made me the person and shaped me and molded me into the person that I am today. It was part of my uh, life and education. Life education, you know, world education. It was the Go Go's, and um, so I'm like I say, always grateful. Always wanna want to. Um, play i love i mean it's like because the chemistry is so great but you know what we're like any other any other family we we have our differences 
we fight, we argue, we cry, and we make up. And, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've all at one point or another said, you know, fuck you, I'm done with this, I don't want to put up with this <laughs> shit anymore, blah, blah, blah. Just like family, just like family. And then, you know, a month or a week later or a year later, we're back together. So yep. it's just back and forth, back and forth with this band. But, uh, I mean, like I said, I for one hope that it just continues forever and ever. What'd you say, Raina? What's down? The fence, Jesus Christ Almighty, the fucking fence fell down. Oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I got to call you back. We got a big problem. I got to call you back. Right. I got to call nope. you back. Bye. Nope. No problem. The fucking fence blew down. And even though I gave her a chance to back out of the interview and take care of it, Gina was a real sport and insisted that she call me back and wrap things up. This is the rest of my interview with Gina Shock of the Go-Go's. Yeah, here, here you were okay. thinking you're going to have a nice little interview with some radio guy from a thousand miles away. And now yeah. look, now look at you. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell him when you came outside and look at how the worker here was holding the tree from falling onto the forest while I quickly moved the forest. So the tree was coming down on the forest. Did you hear that? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So I came out and he, and he had, he had this big strap around that he, uh, like a, but well, moving strap or whatever, and he's using that tying on the tree and then stopping the tree from holding. Now, this is the guy that jumped in front of the moving refrigerator <laughs> to stop it from hitting the forest. Then he's got the tree, and I'm like, they're lowering this guy. And then the fence fell down on him. Oh, my yeah. God. He was holding the tree. Well, we moved the cars from in front of the house. <laughs> well, oh, he's he, he's making his paycheck today. That's for damn sure has, has okay, happened. I'm like, all right. I'm okay. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Ready? Okay. So as as a kid, I had two drum teachers. I had a, a, a guy, who, an older jazz guy who was just, you know, cranky and vile, but a terrific jazz drummer. But my second uh, drum teacher was this woman who was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, she was, I mean, she yeah. was just literally just terrific drummer, real skilled. And uh, that was at a time when, you know, like female drummers were pretty rare. And, and, and now yeah. you, if you go online, you're seeing all these women playing drums and it's, and, and really gravitating towards the instrument. When you, when you see how many, you know, women are, are picking up drums and percussions, tell, tell me what, what you think of that. Cause I think it's an, it's, I think it's fantastic. Gender doesn't have to define whether or not you can pick up the sticks and beat the shit out of drums. No, I I love the fact that there are so many women these days that are that are drumming and doing they're playing drums or percussion. Um, it's it's wonderful to see, you know. Uh, uh, the instrument does not have a gender, and so whoever's playing it doesn't have to work. That shouldn't be a, a part of what they're doing. You know what I mean? It's like I'm just happy to see that that there's there's uh you know things are changing. It it takes time. Change always takes time, but it's working out really well. Let's, let's be honest. There's, I see so many young girls sitting at drum kits. I go on Instagram and there'll be a young girl. that's really kicking ass. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> don't be afraid, baby. Just do what you love. That's it. I, I also like, there's a, there's a woman out there. I don't know if you, uh, Dorothea Taylor is, but she's, uh, she's a woman who's probably, of course I know who she is. She's that older lady to play drums. She's fantastic. She's so much fun to watch. And you I know, love her. You know, she, she knows her stuff and I, I just watch their, I, I watch her play. I'm going, yeah, no, she kicked my ass all over the place. She's, she's phenomenal. Oh my God. I love it. She sits down to, she's doing, she's doing all drum rudiments. <laughs> she's <Yeah>. badass. <laughs> she, she, 
She totally is. And you know, the funny part about it, you know, when I was a kid, that that first drum teacher would just get incensed if I couldn't hit a paradiddle right. And it's like, well, and, and mm-hmm. at some point, like, well, I don't need to know rudiments. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, no, you kind of do. You, just, you know what? Here's the main thing with drumming is, you know, if you if your timing's not good, don't play drums. Don't <laughs> just don't. You know, uh, play drums. You got to be. It's about keeping time, man, and it's yep. about feeling a groove and having soul. That's what it's about. But really, before you even have any of that soul, you got, your timing's got to be perfect. Yeah. You know, I think you got to be able to sit down and play with a click. There are ways to improve on that, but you either have that skill or you're never going to quite get there. Yeah. I don't know. You know, you are the foundation of whatever song that you're playing. And if you don't have it really solid, everything that you lay on top of, it's going to be all kind of warbly and weird. I, I just feel like, like you're really got to be solid. Yeah. And you got to have soul. You got to make me believe. You got to make me believe what you're what you're playing. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and there is something about uh, about drumming, which I, I've always felt is true, no matter how bad your day is going or what's going on in your on your in your life. Like, say, for example, uh, like a windstorm almost you know kills your car and knocks down a fence. You can always go play drums for a little bit and that just takes everything away. I'm sitting here looking at my drum kit. I got a new kit, well, in the last year or so from DW that is so fucking gorgeous I can barely stand it. I'm just looking at it right now. And it is so beautiful. God, it's a beautiful kit. You know, and their their craftsmanship is fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful it's stuff. Beautiful kit. It's, it's, it's old green sparkle. Mm. So cool looking. What does it say here? Um, I haven't even really looked. I can't wait. I've had them set up, but this is called the Jazz Series. Sounds great. I've played, I've played this kit. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to get it set back up. Uh, I'm, getting these, um, I'm getting these heads from uh, Evans, which reminds me i got to call them the minute I get off this line with you, um, uh, that allows you to be able to play drums. You put these heads on and it kind of muffles it so I'll be able to play drums here at my house and then my house in Baltimore. So I can have a kit on both sides. We're sending, we're sending uh, one of my kits to Baltimore uh, today or tomorrow. Um, so that I have that and can can sit can uh, play can rehearse play my own you know play my stuff. That's great. I don't have to pay for a rehearsal studio. So these hoops, I can't. I mean, I can't wait to put these heads on uh, <laughs> on my uh, kit. That's and, great. Uh, start playing. That's great. Yeah. Gina, I, I I really appreciate you taking the time. I know this has not been the easiest night for you. <laughs> oh my God! What a crazy day! I'm so sorry. It's just nuts. Um, just did I did I answer everything that you asked me? Because there were so many times I was in the middle of something and it got cut off. No, actually, you did. You answered all all the questions I had uh, I had prepared, and it was it was great. Just as long as you don't mind me adding a couple of uh, things in there to, to to put it all together. Because we got interrupted so many fucking times. It'll be good. Okay, I hope I answered everything you needed, babe. You did. You did great. It was a a real pleasure to talk to you, Gina. Thank you so much. All right, darling. Mike, check in. Let me know if everything's cool, okay? Will do. Thank you, Gina. All right, darling. Bye-bye. The name of Gina Shock's book is called Made in Hollywood. It's a great, fun book with some terrific pictures of her and the rest of the band. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, like it, share it, review it, tell all your friends about it. You can reach me at Bax at rock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's musical podcast.